Park sequel number all the time. I'm Brad. And Dave. And today we're discussing Minute 5 of Jurassic Park. David, ready to get into it? Yeah, I'm good. Alright. Jack, say my, say my name. Is my name Alan? Is my name Alan? <laughs> he used to know me. There's been some new concept, some new concept art. A lot of this concept art is older stuff that we've discussed before. We can link to this in, on the Facebook group, on the Facebook page, but uh, a lot of different arts, uh, interpretations of the Indominus Rex, some more gruesome than others, <laughs> showing what look like tumours and that sort of growing on the head. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and a lot, of, going into a lot of this concept art sort of takes the film more into a, it was PG-13, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, so what's what's the next yeah. one up for you over there? R. Oh, is it? Straight to R? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then it goes to NC-17, which is... R is you can you can see it as long as you're with somebody older than 18. NC-17, they don't let you in unless you're 17 or older. Okay. Um, yeah, well, some of this yeah. concept art's definitely pushing the PG-13 rating just with... Um, even just some of the designs of the Indoraptor that they're looking at. There's some concept art of the Mosasaur attacking a Japanese fishing boat, which possibly could have been the uh, ending or mid, mid-film mid scene. It's not quite sure. It was probably, I'm going to assume, partially inspired by, what was it, <laughs> the, the Cancel the Lost World ending, er, opening, mm, where yep. the, they haul up an aberrant form. Yep. But I'm thinking that they would have hauled up a carcass and then the Mosasaur would have eaten them, you know? Well, it, but, it sort of looks like a whaling boat, isn't it? Yeah. Harpoon on the front. It looks like a harpoon or a crane on the front of it, so um, possibly they're whaling and oh, oh, good old Mosasaur in its one trick bag of tricks just comes out and eats the whales that's getting pulled out of the water or something. But it would have been an interesting scene anyway, just sort of, mm-hmm. again, another, another one of those early early film set pieces brought back for a later film. I like one one thing that definitely pushing that um, PG-13 rating here is there's a lot of uh, concept art for more of the uh, the stampede we see in the film with the animals mm. escaping the lava and the eruption where you've got fo- like forests on fire, you've got Gallimimus running through that forest on fire. Now it's sort of these, these are sort of look like print negative images, um, not really detailed, but you can clearly see the animal on fire. One interesting thing here too is they've got a concept art for the Spinosaurus chasing down the gyrosphere, and mm-hmm. um, it's hit by a lava bomb mid chest, and you can see some pretty horrific damage as that goes straight through its chest. Yeah, Gallimimus actually kind of reminds me of uh, James Cameron's Avatar, where the uh, alien horse thing mm-hmm. gets caught on fire from the uh, flamethrowers and. That was, again, a PG-13 movie. It heavily pushed the PG-13 rating. I mean, there's nipple slips abound, just <laughs> putting that out there. And it was, there was a lot of gratuitous violence in it. So James Cameron, was, who likes to push the, the boundaries, does, was pushing the bo- rating boundaries on that one. But the yeah. other one, the Spinosaurus, um, that one was actually supposed to be part of a larger fight. There was, I think, even animation tests before they switched to the animation tests of the Carnotaurus versus the Cynoceratops, where the um, Spinosaurus was supposed to fight the T-Rex. Oh, okay. So we would have gotten that, 
bomb. <laughs> so, of course, the battle wouldn't have ended. It would have, um, the lava bomb would have struck the Spinosaurus before the battle ended. But uh... I, I can see why they shied away from that. I'm sure somebody passed that and said, you know that's like the worst idea we could possibly do in this movie, right? But then you go to the other hand as well. It's just like um, the second alien versus predator, where they got the pred alien and the predator about to face off, and then the humans nuke goes off and no one wins. It's like that's it, it's one of those issues you have with putting two creatures or two people up to fight. You know, no one's going to like the outcome either way, so you try and make it a stalemate. And it, sometimes that's even worse than mm-hmm. making the Spinosaur. Like, even Jurassic Park 3, if there was a stalemate there, then it probably would have been a little bit better. But um, now with all the history and backstory behind that and um, fans' dislike for the scene and everything else, it's sort of... you you you, you got to have the T-Rex win there. I don't, I don't see any other way <laughs> of saving face. To be fair, I, I would agree with the uh, AVPR... A comparison, if I could see the fight in, yeah, in, yeah. in, in AVP. <laughs> Point made. <laughs> well, yeah. Night vision goggles to see that movie. Yeah, yeah. And and this this we, like we know the final scene took part in the day. Now these images are again sort of a negative color. So and they might be day shots. They might be sort of nighttime shots. We know as the uh, Arcadia is leaving the island, the, the sort of cloud covers blocked out the sun. Mm-hmm. So that could have happened a little bit early, but it's just going like people being upset about the brachiosaur going, and you don't even see it again being implied behind those clouds and the smoke. Where you just imagine people of the Gallimimus, or even even that um, I think it was the Allosaurus was running beside the gyrosphere and got hit in the head with the lava bomb. Well, mm-hmm. you imagine if that took half its head off or or whatever. In the film, it just sort of hits the ground and rolls a bit. You don't see much much in the end, but. Um, which is a shame because it's not really realistic, but anyway. So yeah, some some great concept art here with some other animals as well. I'd, there's some shots here as well as some animals fleeing and um, a triceratops ramming a bus. I don't know if these are this is this is concept for after the animals escape onto the mainland or not at the end of the film. Because there's one shot here too of sort of a bulldozer pushing lava, clearing a path for. Either mm-hmm. Mudabarasaurus or Edmontosaurus or something behind it. Um, looks like one of those duck-billed dinosaurs that are sort of following the bulldozer as it's, as it's clearing a path through the lava. So that's that sort of makes me wonder if it's still on island. Even below the bus, it sort of looks like the ground's opened up and there's lava below it. So I don't know if they were going for... OK, there might be school buses on New Blood of fairy people around, or even though we hadn't seen them before. Mm-hmm. But still, it's all it's all nice art. I love concept art. <laughs> Anything else that you want to touch on before we get to today's minute? Yeah, I think uh, I think we discussed that pretty well. All right. As we ended minute four of Jurassic Park 3, the boat had emerged from the fog, its crew missing. The boat then crashed into some rocks, destroying it. While up above, Ben unclipped the tow line, and he and Eric sailed gently down into the jungle of Issel Sauna. As we open on minute five, we fade in from black to a large, long-necked herbivore. It takes us a moment to realise it's only a toy, and a child comes over and grabs it by her neck and starts making roaring sounds.
At the five second mark, we get our first view of Dr. Alan Grant returning to the franchise. As he's telling Charlie that the two herbivores wouldn't want to fight each other. At the 15 second mark, Ellie comes over to join the two and reminds Alan that the child's only free. And he probably wouldn't be interested in how carnivores met in the jungle. At the 30 second mark, after some banter between the two about Ellie's new publicist thinking he's a paleontologist, we hear a car door close and realise this happy family is far from it. At the 37 second mark, Mark appears on screen, gives Ellie a kiss on the cheek and takes the baby from her and Ellie introduces Alan to him. Charlie comes running over, telling his dad that this is the dinosaur man. At the 49 second mark, we cut inside the house as Alan's trying to get Ellie's pet parrot, Jack, to say his name. At the 55 second mark, with Ellie laughing in the background, Alan gives up and starts walking back towards the dinner table, saying, he used to know me. And this ends the fifth minute of Jurassic Park 3. As we open on minute five, we sort of get that uh, black cut to uh, the neck of a sauropod. We didn't really bring it up last minute. Um, the opening sequence, four minutes, run and done, which is quicker than mm-hmm. um, the other two, with the first two films at least. Oh, much quicker. I like to refer to Jurassic Park 3 as Jurassic Park on speed, just because <laughs> every scene is edited in a way to just kind of get done with the movie, and there's not really any time to um, kind of savor anything in this movie, which is unfortunate because it's the same kind of way I feel about the Isla Nublar uh, portion of uh, Fallen Kingdom is that I just wish they wouldn't have edited it in such a way that it's it's too quick, mm. you know? Yeah, and it's something we haven't discussed at all, but Bayona, has actually come out on Twitter saying that all the, uh, the stuff that was cut they didn't feel was important enough to uh, include on any bonus features or behind the scenes. They reckon it was just all sort of cutting fat from the... Um, the scenes or the shots so to put it so which is a shame and it is because honestly that's how Jurassic Park 3 was edited Mm. they cut for the meat and the fat got kind of thrown in the trash yep and not to say that these kind of expository or breather moments are bad I I relish them personally but it's just a shame that nobody that nobody in Hollywood thinks that you can have a slow burner anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. You well, can't take time. Yeah, and it's not a universal property, so I can see why they wouldn't look at it, but even the um, even just the extended editions of Lord of the Rings, stuff like that, where you're looking at over three and a half hours per film, like, and the fans eat it up. They, they, they watch that all the time. There's Lord of the Rings Minute going at the moment that are doing the extended versions. I think it's going to be over a thousand episodes. So <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> that's a... If you if you're keen on it, go over and check them out. They're doing a fantastic job. But sort of, that's a um, that is a goal. I don't think any other film franchise is going to be that that epic. But it just um, the fans the fans want this stuff. It's it's just a shame that they've they've sort of gone around going nut. It's um, we're going to cut all this stuff. Even even though it's going to explain stuff in the film, we've talked before about that opening CNN news story and just having Doctor Henry Wu former. Um, Genesis engine and having it cut where another 10 seconds would have shown um, disgraced or 
brought up on charges or missing or whatever just to fill mm. in what we was doing post-Jurassic World and it's just not there because they feel it's not important. Well, Anyway, that's, that's, we, we talked about all that in the discussion. Yeah, but I mean, I think that what Jurassic Park needs is the Lord of the Rings extended trilogy <laughs> uh, treatment where... Or even what uh, James Cameron does too, and does the collector's editions, mm-hmm. where he goes back and just adds everything, adds almost everything back in that he can. I know that with both examples, there's still material left over. I know that for um, uh, Avatar alone, there's still almost an hour of extended and alternate scenes, and that's after he already went back and added another 45 minutes back into a three-hour movie. Yeah. Yeah, well, we know there's half an hour missing from Fallen Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And he, he mentioned there's something, there was an extra scene on the boat, wasn't there? I, I can't recall now. There was something on the boat with the Tyrannosaur and, oh, the Dilophosaur. Yeah, was... there was going to be a Dilophosaurus on the boat where, mm. they, I think he said that they cut it before they even shot it. Yeah, yep. Which is, kind of irritates me, ir, irks me as a fan, just because they haven't had Dilophosaurus on screen and since 1993. Come on, man. Cut yeah. some slack. Yeah, a hologram in Jurassic World and a noise cue at the start of Fallen Kingdom is not <laughs> sufficient. Especially no. when we're back on Nublar. If we're on Sauna, then fair enough. We don't really know, apart from that computer screen in Lost World, if there's Dilophosaurus on Sauna or not. But just we're back on Nublar. We know the Dilophosaur okay. lived post-Jurassic Park. Whether it was 1, 2, or 9, like the novel suggested, it just... Come on. <laughs> and then, uh, especially, right. like, we'll talk in circles. If the, if it appears mm-hmm. in Jurassic Park 3 on the mainland, then there's going to be fan outrage because, well, how... What, it wasn't shown as one of the 11 species on Mills' computer. It, there was no reference to it whatsoever, yet here it's back because, oh, the fans want it. And Colin comes mm-hmm. out and tweets something, some nonsense, to make it fit, and it just makes us even more angry. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. guess what? This is the this is the Dilophosaur that attacked Nedry in Jurassic Park. No, don't. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, I'm doing my annual Lord of the Rings binge right now. Mm-hmm. I finished with. I just finished with uh, the Two Towers. Previously, I I had did the Hobbit extended editions. I'll admit, there's a lot of fat there. There's a lot of stuff I can see why it was cut, just because it's plain unnecessary. I mean, there's one there's one scene in um the Hobbit in the first Hobbit movie where we see the dwarves all swimming in a fountain naked, and I'm like, nobody wants to see CGI dwarf butt. <laughs> I mean, I can see why that was cut. Nobody wants to see a CGI dwarf butt. Hmm. There's other stuff that is really interesting and almost changes the way you feel about some characters, you know? Yeah, yep. And they needed that in the movie. Like, in Lord of the Rings, you see how they cut a scene where both... Uh, Two of the uh, sons of the steward of Gondor. Okay, this I know this sounds really really nerdy for a sci-fi <laughs> podcast, but the the steward the uh, vice king, I guess you could compare him to. He's a dick. Yeah. He's just flat out. Nobody likes him. Even his kids don't like him. But you don't understand that unless you see the deleted scenes. Mm. If you don't see the deleted scenes, you think he was you think that his one son loved him and his other son didn't like him. Yeah. But you see the deleted scenes, you see neither one of them liked him. You know? Mm. It changes the way you feel about some characters 
and I feel like that can that is done with uh, the Lost World. Yeah, not just the Lost World, but with Jurassic Park in general. For example, Roland, who I was I preached many times about how his how his character just gets cut down into some kind of pseudo villain when in reality he's a really really good person. Mm. Yeah, and even RJ's involvement there as well. Where there wasn't so much cut on his side. There was some stuff in the pre-San Diego script now that sort of added a lot more to it and was never shot. So it's sort of what we see on film is pretty much what RJ was going to be on film anyway. But mm-hmm. just, yeah, Roland's a perfect example of that. Oh, I mean, even if we look at the shooting script that The Lost World went through, we can see that RJ had a much larger role than he does in the movie. Yeah. At the end of the shooting script, you're actually sad that RJ dies. Mm-hmm. In the film, you're like, RJ who? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're a hunter. What are you going in the long grass for? You're yelling at everyone else not to go in the long grass. Why are you going in there? Mm. Anyway, Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back to Jurassic Park 3, sort of. Um, yeah, so as we open on minute five, we get uh, the neck of the sauropod, um, and we can hear a roaring sound as a child comes into the shot and grabs it by the neck and picks it up, and then we get a triceratops come in and the two animals begin fighting each other. And, uh, I actually could... had both these toys when I was a kid. I was I'm going to ask if these were a real <laughs> real figure or not. <laughs> yes, they are. The uh, Brachiosaurus is from, I want to say, Carnegie Collection. It was their big one. And it's like, it's like the thing weighs like five pounds. It's huge. Yep. <laughs> and the other one was a semi-rare Triceratops. Uh, it came with a set with a Tyrannosaurus, a Brachiosaurus, a Stegosaurus, and this Triceratops here is by Dunmei. It's a Chinese company. I wonder if this... Of course, a Chinosaur, but hmm. I, I did have the toy, yeah. I wonder if this movie shot them up in popularity or dropped them. <laughs> oh, they... I have no idea. I remember I actually got them from my cousins. My cousins, my... They weren't really much dinosaur fans, so they kind of just gave me the toys because they knew I were. Yeah. I was I am a dinosaur fan. So that's kind of how I ended up with them. That's going to be an interesting eBay search a little bit later on tonight. Because, <laughs> <laughs> again, like we were talking before about how good it is time being a fan of all new props and stuff. Like Again, something like that, you could have those two figures. Yes, it's from a scene on the mainland. <laughs> well, his name is Charlie. Um but almost a non-named character sort of playing around from it. Sort of not, it's not the Barbasol can, but it's still something you see on screen. So, mm-hmm. But we get the uh, the camera start to pan to the right, and we get to see Dr. Alan Grant sitting there and uh, tells Charlie that those are herbivores. They wouldn't be interested in fighting each other. Luckily, he has a couple of raptor toys in hand. Well, one's a raptor. I'm not quite sure. The other one might be an Allosaurus or something. It's, uh, I think, the either the Safari or the Carnegie Collection Allosaurus. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Velociraptor was the Safari Sand or Velociraptor, which I also had <laughs> as a kid. You sure you didn't like this movie when you come out, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just happened to pick up all these dinosaur toys when I was a kid. Yeah, a lot of them just generics or from museums or and stuff, and then they just happened to be in this movie. <laughs> Question: Do you still have more? They still in a box at your parents' place? No, I still have them. Yeah, yeah. I, they're in a box. In my, in my basement, but yeah, yeah. I have them. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh. We get Grant continuing that these are carnivores. They really like fighting each other. They use their teeth and their claws to rip out their <laughs> rip each other's throats out. <laughs> you ruined uh... Jurassic Park, Doctor Grant. 
ruined. <laughs> now we get nothing but now we get nothing but carnivore fights the entire all movies. <laughs> the herbivores love fighting. You ever yeah. see you ever see two elk go at it or mm-hmm. rams? They mm-hmm. love fighting. They'll fight for over anything. Mm. You ruined it, Doctor Grant. Well, we've got the Pachycephalosaurus. It- Ram, the males, they butt heads, like, as you said, like rams or whatever, for finding mates and that. Like, stuff like that on Sauna or even later Nublar in Fallen Kingdom where supposedly the animals are breeding would have been fantastic to see <laughs> instead of seeing carnivores go at each other or all that. <laughs> but um, he seems really happy here. It's probably the happiest you'll see or appear in the film as he's sort of sitting there and talking about the raptors just attacking each other. (laughs) (laughs) Or raptors using their teeth and their claws to tear throats out. Which, we get Ellie walk up in the background here and um, she's holding another baby in in her hands and sort of Ellie's cringing at what Grant's saying and tells him that Charlie's only three, let's wait until he's five (laughs) before you start... Going into all that, but I still think Five's a little bit too young to be talking about teeth and ripping out throats. <laughs> I'm going to resent that as, as well, because when I was three, I hated Barney because he wasn't mean and vicious like Jurassic Park dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. But we get um, Grant and Ellie and the two kids here. At any point, did you think this was the family? Yeah, I think everybody, when they first saw it, was like, oh, cute, now Alan's got a family with Ellie. Oh, wait, who, who, who's this asshole? Yeah. Who's this guy? Why, why is he kissing Ellie? I what? wonder if... I wonder, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that was a an afterthought after the Spinosaurus and Trinosaur fight, and just sort of a further, like, kick in the guts for the film. Like, you get, you get here and you see this and, oh, okay, they're not together. Okay. Okay, well, okay, and then all of a sudden the Spinosaur wins. And it's like, no, nah, I'm on. <laughs> that, that's strike two. We're out. We're not even going to get to strike three, which comes later. So, <laughs> but we also get um, Charlie mentioned as being f- free, which would have Ellie being pregnant around '97, uh, the um, San Diego incident. If uh, if this is in fact four years after the Lost World. Um, three to four years, so that would have been interesting if she was had a cameo in The Lost World or something and she wasn't pregnant. <laughs> but, um, but, I but... definitely think it's supposed to be four years later because I know at least the movie storybook describes it as eight years after Jurassic Park. Yeah. And we know that The Lost World is four years after Jurassic Park. Yeah. I think it, it, one scene um, specifically later on when we get to the the lecture where you've got so many people still hungry or into information on Jurassic Park or the San Diego incident where after four years it's sort of it's one of those things you'd think it'd start to fade fade down and maybe even start going back into myth or story local story especially those in San Diego but there's living dinosaurs out there. Yeah. I, it was like my, the ultimate imagination for me when I was a kid. Yeah, Nobody yeah. This is not going away. Mm-hmm. Well, then it sort of goes the other way. Well, how come there haven't been more illegal boats being stopped or something getting to Nublar or... Well, I suppose at that point, even this point, it's all sauna, so... Hmm. Yeah, all right. <laughs> we can get to that a little bit later. But... Um... <laughs> They're interrupted by the maid that comes out, which I was going to rewatch. It looks like Mignar, 
that's um that's in um she, oh well she was in Agents of Shield. It's probably where she'd be more more recently known from, but I don't even know if it's a maid, if it's an assistant or I'm not sure. I uh never watched Agents of Shield. Yeah. She's not named, so of course she's not in the credits anywhere I couldn't find. Um but she tells Ellie that it's Tom and they need to talk about the last chapter and she replies that they won't lose the Jack Horner quote, which sounds like she's got a book on the way. Um, if it's going to Horner for a quote, it must be... Well, she's a paleobotanist, so whether she's sort of talking about some skeletons as well, although I'm sure I'm sure in the field you wouldn't stay focused mainly on just um, vertebrate paleontology or... If you're a paleobotanist, yes, you're going to study the flora, but you're probably going to look at what ate that as well. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't mean, so yeah. Yeah. So she's um, she's writing a book, and um, she whispers to Grant that her editor thinks he's a paleontologist. Um, <laughs> we we don't saw. We all? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, I'm not after that last. <laughs> last no, but don't last we all think we're paleontologists? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But we later learn also that Grant published a book post-Jurassic Park. Do you think anything in Ellie's is going to touch on Jurassic Park as well? I don't know. I mean, she doesn't seem like one, like she wants to dwell on the past, especially in this movie. You see her, I mean, she remembers, but she doesn't want to really think about it. Mm. Yeah, we'll get to that scene in a couple of minutes' time where she's sort of, she's definitely uneasy about bring back those memories and sort of she's moved on mm-hmm. she's got the kids um, the PSD obviously isn't there as much as what it may be with Grant we haven't really gone into that we can go into that in a later later minute but we hear a car door close and Ellie starts to walk to the right of the screen and um, she says hey Mark she's got the baby mm-hmm. oh and he takes the baby from um, from her arms as they embrace and um, quick kiss on the lips which <laughs> There goes that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> You're just watching your entire childhood crash and burn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even even when um, Colin Brady were doing Jurassic Park minute and sort of were going through those scenes and a lot of that film, yes, there was more in the script and even in the novel where um, they were more of a couple, but I didn't seem that much of a couple in that film. Yes, we got the line dropped by Grant and when Malcolm's asking if those two are a thing. I, I personally, I just seen that more of just him defending Ellie from Malcolm and saying that just so he'd back off because he just heard about his um, free wives and loving kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I just seen that as a bit of a defense mechanism on her on his part. But no, I mean they were definitely together. I mean in the deleted scene, we yeah. didn't see them kiss. Yeah, well that's it. There's that deleted scene that um, that has them embracing and kissing. So it's sort of. It's it's definitely implied there that that was a thing. So, so yeah, it. Um, Ellie introduces Grant here, and the two men shake hands, and Charlie jumps in, saying, "Daddy, this is a herbivore, and that's the dinosaur man." <laughs> and um, Alan just smiles at the reference and repeats, "Dinosaur man," <laughs> which is which is great. And again, comes up later on too, where Charlie sort of brings back up that name, knowing that um, it's Grant, and Ellie sort of knows who what he's talking about, but. Um, we do cut away here inside the house, but before we do, the uh, the house location is uh, on a street in Pasadena in California. Um, mm. I'll use some the same some houses on the street, not necessarily this house specifically, but 
Um, just straight, they've used houses for filming Beethoven and the girl next door, to name a couple of films. Halloween. Um, <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, but it's, it's not in the script here, and it was only in um, in the um, the description of the house. It's sort of in relation to the film. It's described as Ellie's DC or Washington DC home, which would imply that this is Washington DC, um, mm-hmm. which is from my understanding, a little bit, little bit of a drive from Montana. Yeah, I think he's definitely taken a plane. Yeah. Now, whether he's in DC too, we don't really know where the uh, the lecture takes place later either. I'm guessing it's got to be in DC as well, and that's why he's there. Mm-hmm. Um, because oh, we... And the, it, the lecture looks like it takes place in a, like a school auditorium. Hmm. Yeah, it's not really something you'd be... It just seems like a university commitment or something and not necessarily a funding push. Um, yeah. Because we sort of get the drop later when he returns back to the dig site. Um, Billy asks him how it went and he said, it's not too late to change your career or something like that. But it sort of, <laughs> it sort of, it sort of makes it sound like he was in, in DC to, uh, or he was away to try and find funding for for further digs, so um, and it's just sort of odd if Ellie's in Washington and he's in Montana, because here we the next scene we cut to inside and we got the parrot in the cage and Alan saying its name Jack Jack is my name Alan is my name Alan, <laughs> which which again sort of is a good little good little um, call forward to what we're going to get on the plane as well. Like is he trying to talk to this bird, and we know that some parrots and um, bird varieties like that do can speak and say some can get quite <laughs> vulgar if uh if the uh the owners of that way inclined as well but um so just this is actually interesting because it has a foreshadowing mm. of a scene later that most people deem rather pointless yeah well that's what i meant foreshadowing yeah <laughs> just oh yeah okay. yeah and just just the fact that we have birds now and of course the raptors have always been described as the ancestors of birds and everything else evolved, raptors evolved into birds and everything else, and here you've got Alan interacting with a bird, trying to get it to speak. Now, he sort of says here that um, it used to know him, so obviously it probably used to say his name once, and it's been mm-hmm. a while since he's visited, so the bird's forgotten who he is, or forgotten to say Alan, but yeah, so I just, I, I, I think it's connected to that later scene we get on the plane, mm-hmm. um, and just trying to, um, trying to get and even in the next minute when him and Ellie start going about the um, raptors being able to communicate with each other, it just sort of, again, that communication. It might not be English, <laughs> but there's um, there's communication there. And that's sort, of, that's sort of the other thing, too. Like, how long... If Alan's visited once before, obviously Charlie wasn't born. Um, and obviously Mark had never met because um, Mark says he's heard so much about Grant from Ellie, so mm-hmm. I wonder if I wonder if post Jurassic, um, she's moved to Mont- uh, moved to uh, either moved to Washington D.C. or moved back to her house in Washington D.C. away from the dig site in Montana, and carried on her career there away, away from Grant and Montana itself, which also yeah, makes me wonder if that bird was around back when <laughs> they were seeing each other because he says he used to know him, but other people haven't met each other so. It might all be just an issue of the script as well, and I'm looking too far yeah. into it. 
but looking at that script briefly, um, we cut to the two dinosaurs fighting, and Alan's already in shot, smiling as Charlie's playing with the animals. As it's um, almost suggested that they're a gift from him, and that's why they're playing so eagerly. He's, he's playing so eagerly with him in the sandpit, but. Um, Ellie's also there, already standing behind him, holding the younger child, and it's described as being a picture of the perfect family. And then, um, then we get the Grant's lines about the animals fighting. We cut, we hear a, uh, a car engine stop and the door closes, and Ellie sort of says it must be Mark, and she calls out that they're in the backyard, or out back, and uh, Mark emerges from a side gate holding a briefcase. Mark and Ellie kiss briefly on the lips, and Ellie asks him if he had a good day, and Mark replies that he was just keeping the world safe. And, um, and then offers to take the daughter from Ellie. So we don't really know what Mark's profession is at this point, but sort of he seems like he's in government or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, Ellie then introduces Alan, and Mark says he's heard a lot about him, which, again, as we are just discussing before, seems like the first time those two have actually met. So, yeah, how long has Ellie had this house for and been in Washington? Um but the two men shake hands and we realise Grant's just um, the odd one out here. And Charlie jumps forward and does the uh, herbivore speak once again. And Grant just smiles uncomfortably as, a, as if he's a third wheel. Mm, I mean, not to be mean, but it kind of is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of one of those things where it doesn't happen well, in my life, definitely. There hasn't really been a, a time where an ex has come back on the scene after after a breakup. Or after we parted ways, yes, they'll they'll work colleagues as well, which I suppose makes it even more awkward when you've got so much history together and and here you are meeting the uh, the boyfriend slash husband. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he's got a wedding band on, so I'm, I'm guessing they are married at this point. So being being Spielberg and being Universal, the, the kids would probably hint the fact that they are married. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's uh, that's minute five, David. Anything else you want to discuss before we get out of you for the week? No, I think we're pretty good. Awesome. All right. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is drasticminutes.wordpress.com and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Drastic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks, and it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters, nothing more and nothing less. Uh, are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on earth or heaven could get me on that island. Your desk. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! Take the phone to mommy! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.